You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Studios. and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, pop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I'm also not an animal expert. And today we are talking about the wolf. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that because the dog will go off if I do that. Oh. I couldn't even sing along with the Werewolves of London song, though I was dying to, because if I do it, like, he's looking at me. <laughs> like, I hear something weird, because you know they have really good hearing. He can hear over the headphones if it's higher pitch sounds. and so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we go ahead and warn the listeners now? Yeah. Yeah, if your dog is triggered by other dogs howling... This is going to make them go nuts. So yep. either either listen to this episode on headphones or away from them. Or if you want to, you can just listen to this episode with them and record them howling along and put it on the Varmint's discussion group on, yeah. on Facebook. That would be great. That would be so cool. Take a video of your dogs howling along to our episode and send and it to us. we'll have like a perpetual circle of howling that will never end because <laughs> <laughs> when I play those on my computer, my dogs will be like, ow! <laughs> uh, it will just never end. It's like the song that never ends. So, very sad. <laughs> hey, we have a new segment. We do! It's called Dog on Patrol. Yes. Dog on patrol. There are 350 million people in the United States, and it is my sworn duty to bark at every single one of them. (laughs) It is Friday, approximately 1 p.m. I am performing my rounds on the strategic perimeter. The day is quiet, too quiet. A strange scent rises from the grass at the base of a tree. I engage olfactory receptors. Substance identified as squirrel pee. (laughs) Squirrels have penetrated the perimeter. I must act quickly. I rub my face in the squirrel pee to disguise my scent. Now the squirrels will think of me as one of their own. There they are, sitting in the tree. I will infiltrate their cult. Woof, 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 woof. Friend squirrel, it is I, another squirrel. Take me to your leader and tell me your secret plans. Hit the squirrels chattering amongst themselves. They have brought out a handful of acorns. This must be a peace offering. My plan is working. Ouch, that hurt. They're throwing nuts at me. Stop, stop. How do they penetrate my disguise? Stop, stop that. <laughs> woof, 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 woof. My ruse has been compromised. I must retreat. Curse you squirrels, I will return. <laughs> Stay tuned for the further adventures of Dog on Patrol. (laughs) (laughs) Friend Squirrel, it is I, another squirrel. (laughs) Oh, that was fun. Let us know what you think of that. (laughs) 
Okay, so Dog on Patrol is a new series that's being produced by myself and the boyfriend, Curtis Craddock, and he is doing the writing and the voice. And he has been inspired by our relative of the wolf, young Odysseus, over here. And today, um, we're going to learn about his his distant ancestors. So let's get yes. started. Okay, just a reminder to go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to the audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word. And at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. If you like the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave us a nice little rating and review. Now let's learn about woofies. The kingdom of animals is fascinating. Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living pattern. So come on. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? We are blathering about wolves today. The gray wolf, Canis lupus, is also called the timber wolf or just wolf. It is the largest wild member of the dog family. It inhabits vast areas of the northern hemisphere. Five subspecies are recognized in North America, 12 in Eurasia, and one in Africa. Keen senses, large canine teeth, powerful jaws, and the ability to pursue prey at 60 kilometers an hour or 37 miles per hour equip the gray wolf well for a predatory way of life. A typical northern male may be about two meters or about six and a half feet long, including their big bushy tail. They stand about 76 centimeters or 30 inches tall at the shoulder, and their weight ranges from 14 to 65 kilograms, which is 31 to about 143 pounds. They can get pretty big, depending on the area. So the further away you get from the equator, the larger the wolf is going to be. And females average about 20% smaller than the males. Male and female wolves are generally called just that, male wolf or female wolf. Sometimes the unimaginative term she-wolf is used to describe a female wolf, but not very often. Right. Young wolves are called pups or cubs. The English word wolf stems from the Old English word wolf, which is itself thought to be derived from the Proto-Germanic wolfaz, which pretty much just means wolf. (laughs) Wolves are the apex predator in their territory, and the only other animals known to kill wolves are tigers and humans. And they are also a keystone species. There was a TED Talk back in 2013 that we'll link to in the show notes that talked about how the government released some gray wolves back into the wild at Yellowstone National Park, and it literally changed the landscape. It physically changed the landscape. Rivers changed, the courses of the rivers changed, the uh, different forests appeared where they were not before, and so uh, the effect that they have on where they live is just incredible, and they're an incredible animal. Yeah, and it it definitely has allowed Yellowstone to become the forest that it was supposed to be before human intervention. So it's a pretty exciting story. So Yeah. Totally awesome. So what do you suppose is the most sort of, like what would be the first thing that people think of when they think about a wolf? Probably howling at the moon. Yep. Yes. They think of a wolfie howling at the moon. But (laughs) did you know that wolfies don't actually howl at the moon? There's a lot of reasons they howl, but the big old blob of light in the sky is not one of them. So, (laughs) (laughs) Basically, there's a lot of speculation about wolf howls. They don't kind of understand why they do some of them. It's kind of considered to be... It probably strengthens their social bonds between pack mates. Um, But even so, chorus howling can end up in sort of nasty fights between pack mates when when it's done. Especially if lower-ranking pack members join in the chorus, sometimes they get their little butts beat by the higher-ranking members because wolf society is snappy and bitey, so... (laughs) (laughs) However, we do know a few things about why wolves howl, and I'm going to talk about uh, some of them. So, the first howl we're going to talk about is called the lonesome howl. And it is so that other wolves can can find that one wolf. It's just the one wolf going, oh, I'm separated from my pack and I need to rendezvous with them. Where are they? So that's the, where are you, howl? And it's very, very (laughs) dangerous because um, rival packs of wolves that might be in crossing territories might also hear that howl. 
In Minnesota, where wolves are protected from humans, the primary cause of death for adult wolves is being killed by wolves from other packs. So howling is very, it has a potential to be very costly. So it's something you do with care. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A wolf is very careful about where and when he howls. And so let's go ahead and listen to the lonesome howl. And I will try to keep the sound contained, but I don't guarantee my dogs won't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And where are you? (laughs) (laughs) So the pups, little cubs, they learn how to howl pretty early, actually, when they're still fuzzy and tiny. Um, The example we're going to hear comes from a three-month-old pup that has just heard an adult howling near the den site. So... Um, indiscriminate howling is not a dangerous proposition for little puppies because they tend to stick at a rendezvous site that's relatively far from the neighbors. And they usually have pups of their own to raise, so they don't have much, um, there's just not a lot of crossover. They like to stay in their own little territories with their young. So babies kind of learn how howls work by howling, so... Once they start to travel with the pack, they begin to enter less secure surroundings and their neighbors are traveling as well, so they kind of learn more about all of that as they get out and about. But this guy, this little guy, is just starting to learn how to do it, so let's listen to him. Or her. Okay, even though that's a three-month-old pup, that's still kind of terrifying. It kind of is, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. how cute and terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this makes the skin on your spine go, eek, 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 eek. Then there's the confrontational howl. The confrontational howl happens after there's some sort of conflict with a neighbor happening. So... In the example we're going to hear is an alpha male is howling after approaching a stranger who had howled close to his own rendezvous site. Ah, Um, okay. So this is the don't mess with me howl. Yep. And he seems to have scared off the intruder because there was no confrontation afterwards. So it's speculated that this kind of howl can actually avoid conflict which is a good thing because conflict is costly. And, uh, you you know, believe it or not, even animals that we consider to be super violent actually do avoid conflict as much as they possibly can. And when wolves are at conflict with each other, it usually means there's not enough room for them to roam, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. they, if they have larger territories, they are able to have conflict with each other less, so. Right. And they always will, but... You know, they can they can control it a little better. So so let's go ahead and listen to the warning howl, the don't mess with me howl. Also terrifying. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you are in a house in Florida, and they are not going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> Wolves are creeper for humans because humans have, you know, humans have been uh, a prey item for wolves in the past. So I think that the sound just makes us go, because <laughs> it's a pretty oh, sure. stern reminder that we are not the king of the jungle. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. So, <laughs> our teeth and claws are not enough. So that's why we have technology. Because <laughs> we were like, man, these teeth and claws stink. We need something else. <laughs> 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 Woo, let's do technology. That's a good idea. 
Um, then there's the chorus howl, to return to the wolves. A chorus howl is a chorus of wolves made up of at least two adults and two yearlings. So it's interesting to listen to the way the chorus changes as this howl goes on. It begins with a single howl, which is pretty simple. After a second or two, a second wolf joins in, followed by one or two more before the rest of the pack follows, virtually en masse. So the article says the accelerating start makes it possible to pick out the first three or four individuals, but after that, too many begin howling at once to count them. <laughs> wow. Um, so wolves in a howling chorus use wavering or modulated howls and the changes in pitch make it difficult to follow one individual's howls if a lot of others are also howling. So it's kind of hard to know who's doing what. But in addition, the sound travels through the environment, the trees, the ridges, the rock cliffs, and the valleys, and they, it reflects and scatters it all over the place. And as a result, the competing packs also hear a complex mix of direct sound and echoes. And so it's super duper, super duper crazy. So you can, you're not able to estimate how many wolves there are. There's a record of, during the Civil War, General Ulysses S. Grant reported hearing what he took to be a pack of quote unquote, not more than 20 wolves while traveling. And a short time later, he reached the pair of wolves that had been making the noise. There were two of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> this phenomenon is called the bow guest effect, and it may introduce enough in uncertainty to make size estimates not only unreliable, but potentially lethal <laughs> if you are a pack underestimating the size of the group of howlers. So, sure. That's amazing. Yeah. Do we know how many wolves are in this sound clip? No. Uh, okay. At least four. But we don't know if there's any more. So. Yeah, that sounds like about 20 wolves. Yep, and it's not. It's like, it's like four or five. <laughs> that is amazing. And just, this is super interesting. So I've got my headphones in. I had my hands over my ears. And during that whole chorus, both of my dogs' ears were completely perked up and they were listening. They weren't tempted to howl back because I don't think they understood what they were hearing. But they heard at least something. So, Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> they did good. Yeah. Good job, Odie and Hector. Yeah, they didn't howl. We're gonna have to make them do it instead. Because so. I thought they. Well, just now that go we've off. driven everybody's dogs completely insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's well. let's talk about packs of wolves for a minute. Wolves naturally form packs to assist with hunting, but also to just maintain stability and order. Similar to lion prides, which we discussed in our episode about lions, but lion prides are much larger and they have much less of a really kind of a structured hierarchy. You're either in the pride or you're out of the pride. But a wolf pack is much more organized than that. Uh, the pack usually contains between five and ten wolves, which is smaller than I thought. Generally, there is an alpha male and an alpha female, and they are the leaders and the only wolves who will make little wolves. Now, you may have noticed that I said leaders, plural. And that's because just being the alpha male does not automatically make you the leader. Wolf rankings in a pack are solely based on strength and ability to win fights and not gender, so it is entirely possible that an alpha female will be the, the leader for the entire pack. Yep. In a typical wolf pack, there's also a beta wolf. The beta wolf can become the alpha male if the alpha male dies or if the beta male fights him and defeats him. And there's also an Omega Wolf. I did not know this. The Omega Wolf is the weakest member of the pack, and it gets the least amount of care, it gets bullied, and it's the most likely member of a pack to leave and become a, wolf, a lone wolf. It sounds right. really terrible, but it's kind of the Omega Wolf's job to be the punching bag because it instigates play, and what happens when, when play happens is that it relieves tension within the group. 
Because like you mentioned before, wolves get really bitey and argumentative, and if especially if you have a lot of females in the pack, the females tend to fight amongst themselves more than the males do. So the Omega Wolf is there to kind of let everybody get their aggressions out on him. Right. And to start a new pack. And That's to start another. a new pack because they do go it alone. Yeah. And wolves that go it alone, just like lions, they have a, a much harder time finding food, and the longer that they remain alone the shorter their lifespan will be because the entire pack has to take down something like a moose or a deer or an elk. A lone wolf can't do that by himself. All right, well, it's disclaimer time. The Varmints podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then again, we really only have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Wolves are really, really smart. Like, really smart. Yeah. Like, when they're hunting and they have they have to do problem solving and they have to do planning, that I... It seems like it's above and beyond just instinct. Like, oh, they're, yeah. they're wicked smart. They are. Yep. I gave them, like, an eight and a half. Like, I'm, like, primate intelligence. Yeah, I think they're, they're up there. So, yep. <laughs> yep. And with style points, I mean, that's another 10. Yep. There's no non 10 wolf. It doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> what is there to say? They're super frighteningly crazy smart, and they're gorgeous, and they're wonderful. And we they're should amazing. do everything we can to save them because they are crucial to our environmental health. Before we start talking about wolves and pop culture, and a very, very interesting segment about what wolves and your little doggy at home have in common, uh, we're going to play this little commercial. It's a mum. Hello, mum. And a daughter. Hello, Stacey. Just telling it like they think they ought to. I'd love to meet a pirate. Raft you off. <laughs> Raft you off. The melodic sound of the flute. They'll make you pay your pants when you laugh. Wet and magazine. Funny chat. Comedy bronze. Sketchy facts. Dog monk. And advice from a very wonky cat. Kipper. Raft you off. Sometimes sober. Raft you off. Cheese maggots. On Podbean and Apple Podcasts. It's not like they don't know what they're getting. If you like hilarious chat and poorly researched facts, then Rough Giraffe is for you. You can follow us on Twitter at Rough Giraffe Pod or find us on Facebook. You can download and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcatcher. And now for something completely different. Hey, you know, Donna and I, we're just a couple of nerds like you and we don't see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk a little bit about where we see them most of the time on movies, TV, and video games. Donna, do you remember Hokey Wolf and Dingaling? Hokey Wolf and Dingaling? Yes. No. Okay, let's uh, maybe try to refresh your memory. Okay. And a huckleberry hound dog. Howdy to you, kidlets. This here's your old friend, Chuckleberry Huckleberry Hound. Uh, pay attention now whilst I introduce you to two comical characters, Hokey Wolf and Dangalang. Oh, yeah, Hokey Wolf and Dingaling. Step this way and we'll sing you of Hokey Wolf and Dingaling and all the fun we can bring you. You need a top wolf for a job, someone who's the world's smartest wolf. Like maybe bringing back stray lambs, friend. We got sheep's clothing, all sizes, and we even know the sheep theme song. Of course, it's the wolf version, we know. You know this whole thing. We are poor little wolves. Who can find your lambs? Give us a try and you'll buy. Hokey wolf and dingaling. Are you with his friend? Hokey wolf and dingaling. Yeah, you sure are one slick wolf, Hokey. And don't be crow dingaling. We wolves, thanks to my wolf survival kit, I sharper than most animals. And I guess we have to be because of our bad reputations. Oh, well, we're not so bad. Allow us to reintroduce ourselves. Hokey Wolf and Dingaling. Are you with his friend? Hokey Wolf and Dingaling. <laughs> Does that ring a bell? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that old. Yay! 
Huckleberry Hound? Of course I know Huckleberry Hound. Okay, you remember Huckleberry Huckleberry Pound. I do too. So, uh, yeah, Hokey Wolf was a segment in the Huckleberry Hound show, which was the adventures of a con artist wolf and his young diminutive sidekick, Dingling Wolf, and they're always trying to cheat their way into the simple life. Now, if that sounds familiar, that was a premise that was used before in this cartoon, because one of the characters in the Huckleberry Hound show was Yogi Bear and his smaller sidekick, Boo Boo. They, of course, were two bears who were stealing picnic baskets and generally up to no good. So that was the more famous version of that type of story. Yes. Yogi Bear was so overwhelmingly popular that he got his own Hanna-Barbera cartoon, and probably of that group of cartoons was the most popular. And Hokey Wolf was like, what am I, chopped liver? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, they tried to fill that void. When Yogi Bear left and got his own cartoon, Hanna-Barbera came up with Hokey Wolf and Dingaling. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I don't remember this at all. That's yeah, so well, weird because I loved I loved Huckleberry Hound, and Huckleberry Hound actually sounds like my uncle. I have an uncle that sounds exactly like that. That's what... <laughs> so Hokey Wolf was voiced by a guy named Dawes Butler, who was impersonating an actor called Phil Silvers, and he is the mm-hmm. smooth talking title character throughout each cartoon. His main yep. hobby in life is to just outsmart and coax the clueless people out of free meals or places to stay which he very often did, despite the consequences. Mm-hmm. Dingaling Wolf was voiced by Doug Young, and he was impersonating Buddy Hackett, the comedian. Uh-huh. So he's the younger side wolf, the younger sidekick to Hokey Wolf. I like side wolf. Or That's side a wolf. Good term. <laughs> <laughs> he's my side wolf. He was boo-boo to Hokey Wolf's Yogi Bear, and... Right. He always accompanies him throughout each misadventure, and he wants to be a con artist just like Hokey when he grows up. But he's usually the voice that says, I don't think this is such a good idea, Hokey. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yep, so he would be Boo Boo. Yeah. He would be Boo Boo. Yep. And uh, yeah, like you said, very few people remember Hokey Wolf and Dingaling. I barely wow. remember them. And they only lasted two seasons 28 cartoons right. in total. And then they made, like, several cameo appearances in other Hanna-Barbera cartoons, mainly in Yogi Bear cartoons. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, just because you have a good idea once doesn't mean you're going to have a good idea twice. (laughs) Okay, so for our wolf pop culture, I got super nerdy. I'm just going to put my total nerd shirt on right now (laughs) and just get my dice out. Get my dice out. Oh, I like that nerd shirt. Yeah. That's got D&D and Star Wars and Marvel Comics on it and Legend of Zelda. And White Wolf right there in the middle, you can see. There's the White Wolf. Nice shirt. Did you make that? Yeah, I did. I made it up in your brain right this moment. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my character sheet in front of me and my pencils. I'm ready to, you know, check off my health and stuff. And we're going to talk about... Werewolf the Apocalypse. Werewolf the Apocalypse is a role-playing game from the classic World of Darkness line, originally by White Wolf Publishing. Other related products in this series include the collectible card games called Rage and several novels. In the game, players take on the role of werewolves, which are known as Garou, which is from the French Loup Garou, which means lycanthrope. The Geru are usually warriors who are locked in a two-front war against both the spiritual desolation of urban civilization and the supernatural forces of corruption that seek to bring about the apocalypse. Dun, dun, dun. Games... <laughs> yes. Game supplements detail other shapeshifters as well, but we're not going to talk about them. They also did World of Darkness, New World of Darkness Werewolf the Forsaken, which I never played because I didn't like any of that series. Uh, I got very old lady about that whole series. I was like, meh, I don't look through the book. <laughs> right, it didn't, I don't like this. <laughs> New werewolf. Nah. <laughs> and I just played the other one. <laughs> ah, nerds, we get so picky. <laughs> I'm not quite as bad as a classic WoW player sort of nerdiness, but uh, yeah, it's getting close. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so the again, the premise of the game is that you are a werewolf, a Geru, and it takes place in a fictional version of our Earth. 
It's a secret world where werewolves, vampires, and other legendary creatures secretly live beside humans. But it's a dark reflection of our world, filled with corruption, apathy, violence, and hopelessness. <laughs> the setting is described as gothic punk. The Garu battle to maintain the world before all the negativity leads to total collapse and the apocalypse. They do so... They do so hidden from the public eye, and they live in secret from humanity in general. In their war, the Geru often hunt down and kill humans and supernatural creatures that either actively pursue the apocalypse or unwittingly contribute to it due to their parasitic nature. This includes fallen Geru, vampires, evil spirits, mages and sorcerers, and humans and other creatures possessed by demons or evil spirits. In doing so, the Geru regard themselves as the immune system of the planet. Other themes in the game include the inability of the Geru to live as and among humans, although they were born in human form due to the curse. Interaction with spirits that today are separated from the physical world in a realm the Geru can enter. So it's like a big deal. They've got their whole thing about the planets called Gaia and or Gaia. And they are organized in packs. Werewolves are organized in packs in this game the same way that were that wolves are in the wild. They have various different different names for the different shape-shifting form that werewolves take. They can have like a regular human form, which is called Hamid. Then you have various ones, and the, the big half-man, half-wolf giant guy is called the Krinos form, and it's very dangerous and crazy. And... Uh, <laughs> It's super, super fun. And then they also have personality traits that you can take based on what phase of the moon you were born under. And then there are, like, the tribes. The Black Furies, the Bonars, the Children of Gaia, the Fianna, the Geta Fenris, the Glasswalkers, the Red Talons, the Shadow Lords, the Silent Striders, the Silverfang, the Stargazers, the Uctana, and the Wendigo. And oh yeah, so there's a ton wow. of choices. You have all sorts of stuff that you can do if you want, like, a city-type werewolf who's, you know, always in a business suit and Wolf of Wall Street kind of concept, then the Glasswalker tribe are for you. If you want, um, you know, Dianic Wiccan, you know, high feminism, the Black Furies are there for you. That's a tribe of solely female Geru. And, uh... They claim to be descended from the mythical Amazons. And then there's the Geta Fenris, who, of course, would be like a Teutonic Norse sort of werewolf. And uh, the Fianna, it's a Celtic tribe, just all sorts of choices. There's a zillion ways that you can play this game. Wow. So you can already like have a culture of being that type of werewolf. And then, depending on what phase of the moon you were born under, you'll be able to form a character around those things and... Yep, it's a real fun game, real fun story, and I played it for a long time. I haven't played it for a while, but yeah, we had a... The game had live-action versions. We had live-action werewolf games, and I my favorite character of all time was a character who was a member of the Bonar tribe. The Bonar tribe exist in the slums and the poor areas of human society, and when they do their wolf form, they usually look like a really shaggy, shaggy, like, street dog. <laughs> <laughs> And they're the bums that uh, drink out of paper bags in the park and stuff like that. <laughs> Those are the Bonars. And so I was I played a Bonar called um, Susan Jenkins, and she was from Joyzy. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it was so much fun. Does somebody yeah. have to be the Omega Wolf in that game? Like, Because I'm terrible at tabletop games, and I would be the guy who is always going, why do I always have to be the Omega Wolf? <laughs> Well, I mean, it depends what kind of characters you like to play. Some people like to play the Omega type of wolf, you know? Oh, like okay. the guy who's just in the background. <laughs> I didn't play an alpha oh, character. I played like I, I played like a mid-range kind of character who was like just kind of willing to go along with it, what everybody was doing as long as everybody got a sandwich. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is nerdy and wonderful. I love it. It's incredibly nerdy and wonderful. The series has been taken over by Onyx Path Publishing, and I recommend you go check it out if you like, um, you know, post-apocalyptic world stuff, because that's what they're doing with it now. Um, and I, again, got old and nerdy and looked at it and went, 
So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want you to, you know, do it, but go and buy their stuff if you if you fancy that kind of stuff. It's just not my thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like to eat. Oh, I like to eat too, but I'm not eating wolves. No. I can't imagine a, a reason or... I, 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 no. Just no. Nope. Nope. They're not in the food box, along with pretty much all predators. Like, I don't know. You just don't eat predators. I don't know why. We just don't. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> hey, Donna. Hey. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, let's help everybody win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal fact of the week. Is this your homework, Larry? Look, man. Do, please. So for the animal fact of the week this week, we are joined today by Victoria, the dog guru. She is a dog trainer of 15 years and a behavior modification specialist who happens to have volunteered at a wolf husbandry center. She is also the host of the Ask Your Dog Guru podcast. Thank you for joining us, Victoria. Thank you. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Really appreciate you uh, chiming in on today's episode. So Donna and I are dog owners, and so are many, many of our listeners. And most of us are neither dog experts nor wolf experts. So there's this tendency, and I'm guilty of it too, to think of our dogs as these little or big products of a selective breeding that are at their genetic core wolves or just descended directly from the gray wolf gene pool. Right. And you did a really, really great episode of your podcast called My Dog is a Wolf, No He Isn't, and it was published (laughs) on November 16th, 2017. And in about 20 minutes' time, you completely destroyed the notion that domesticated dogs should somehow be treated as if they are wolves. I'll take that as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did. In 20 minutes' time, you really covered a lot of ground, and in a way that wasn't rushed or or anything like that. I, I really encourage people to listen to that particular episode of it. And if you're a dog owner, you're really going to love this podcast. Uh, It's called the Ask Your Dog Guru podcast. So go look that up and subscribe to it. Um, I'm guessing you've heard that quite a bit over the last 15 years. Oh my gosh, so much. So, so many times I've had owners, well, it's just a wolf. I'm like, no, (laughs) no, it's not. (laughs) Um, It's easy to kind of draw a conclusion like that, to be honest with you, though, because, you know, people think in most cases or in a lot of cases that we just bred down wolves and that's not actually how anything really occurred. So with with that assumption being made, it's not a huge jump for people to assume, well, I'd have to feed my dog like a wolf because that assumption is there. Right. Before before we uh, got domesticated dogs, we ended up domesticating feral dogs, which split 34,000 years ago from wolves. So that was actually the beginning. And we didn't take a wolf and try and essentially cultivate that into a breed and then split it into another series of breeds. We we really worked with the feral dog that had already split from the wolf culture. So the TLDR of this is just, they're not the same animal. No, they're really not. They're not. <laughs> and and any, anybody who works or has been exposed to wolf conservation centers will tell you that. They're, wolves are, are inherently wild. You can't change the wild factor from them, whether they're raised in captivity or, or they're not. And I, I always cringe when people are like, yeah, I want a wolf. I'm like, no, 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 you don't want a wolf because there, there's like a false sense of a security when you raise them from cubs. You're like, okay, well, we've got everything we need. We've got a foundation. We've got a rapport going. But the thing about wolves that separates them, lar- there's two large things that separate them from dogs. One is that they aren't motivated to be on the same page as us. They've got their own plan and dogs are motivated to be they're they're a lot more social they're less independent minded and uh when it comes to wolves they have much larger brains and science has shown us that their brains as pups or cubs as they're referred to is quite a bit more i mean it's it's as far as an adult dog will reach in their entire life an adult dog and a wolf cub are on the same level so once that cub kind of matures into the the three-year range and they they really become mature and considerable adults 
that's when you really see a dip in how much they're interested in being part of our lives because you could end up with a case that's similar to that, but your risk is so much higher. Now, again, many people, and I include myself as a guilty party, will refer to their family dog or if they have multiple dogs using terminology that would be more appropriately applied to wolves. Like, And they'll say things like, my dog needs to know that I'm the alpha male in the house. And then they'll treat their animals or train their animals accordingly. Yes. Yeah, I hear that a lot. <laughs> What's the problem with that? So there's, there's a few problems with it. First of all, you aren't training a wolf. Dogs can read our body language and they're a lot more sensitive and they're more invested in us and wolves are not. So that's one, one big difference. And then, you know, saying... There's a difference between saying that they need an alpha and they need direction and they need a hierarchy. They do need a hierarchy, but we don't establish it in remotely the same fashion a wolf would. You know, they establish that almost as imprint period. You know, with dogs, we can start that relationship really whenever we, you know, whenever we end up having them. And so if you try and train a dog by, you know, say alpha rolling it or showing him who's the boss, there are passive and positive ways to instill a hierarchy without being abrasive because to a normal dog, that's going to be super abrasive. And if anything, it can actually cause more problems down the line. Right. But my dog is howling and Donna's dog howls and it's really cute. That's like they're being little wolves, right? Yeah, but coyotes, coyotes howl too. I mean, anything in that family is going to going to use that. So. Well, and the, you know, wolves and dogs do have similar characteristics. Although dogs have a much wider vocabulary, like wolves pretty much howl. They're not super verbal, which helps them when it comes to hunting prey. But a dog will let you know if someone's outside, if the food is being pulled out of the fridge. I mean, they there's always a sound that they can audit to let you know that they're there and that they're aware of what's going on. And wolves wouldn't really give you those sorts of indications. So though the, though they do howl, it isn't really largely connected to the same purpose that a wolf would howl for. Got it. Well, I think people get confused because while they get interested in like National Geographic, you know, genetic stuff, mm -hmm. they want to read about it. I have a great National Geographic that shows the genetic ancestry of wolves to dogs, right? And people get confused because they think that that means that, that the behavior is going to be the same, and they don't ever talk about morphology, so which is how the genes express themselves, and I think people sort of get confused. They're like, but they have the same DNA. Well, yeah, they, they do mostly have the same DNA, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to express itself the same way, so... Um, yeah, I actually saw a quote, and I can't, I honestly don't know where exactly I saw this, but it really rang true, which is dogs are no closely related to wolves than we are to chimps. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, and there, there is a lot, there was at one point a closer connection, but there isn't now, and just like there isn't between us and chimpanzees, we're, there's a big there's a big gap now. <laughs> well, it's what the genes are being used for, right? Like, they've got the genetic mechanisms for the howl, as Paul said. But yes. a wolf is using that for a specific thing that's much different than what, as you said, what the dogs are. It's just that what makes them able to do that is, yes, the same set of DNA, but it's not going to be expressed necessarily the same way as the impression that I got. Yeah, it's really fascinating because the split is... I mean, a lot of people don't even know how far back that happened. So mm -hmm. especially if you look at a husky, for example, people are like, oh, that's that's basically a wolf. No. Yeah, but it's not. Because it's he likes a you. It's a very different ballgame. So, yes. So in that regard, yeah, they do have similar characteristics. They both have a really powerful scent of, or sense of smell, but they're not they're not as closely linked as many people would as assume they still are. Well, I, this documentary, I'll have to find the name of it. It was on Netflix, but they had um, just, they had a series of experiments that they showed. Mm -hmm. And one was like a wolf puppy and a dog puppy solving puzzles and stuff. And it wasn't that the wolf puppy isn't smart enough to solve the puzzle. He just didn't care. He yep. was just like, I don't care, you know? Yep. The, all the dog puppies, all the dog babies were like, they all knew how to tell if a human was pointing immediately that that it was important for to know well to look in the direction of a human pointing the yes. wolf didn't even understand the that minimal gesture and every puppy was like born with it so right 
And the wolves don't track our faces, but dogs do. And it was just fascinating. Yeah, that's a big difference. Differences. So. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I'm really, I'm going to be listening to your show a lot because I feel like, "Mm, I really like this. Somebody that's really into the dog on like pretty deep level so yeah Yeah. i'm i'm quite invested i've worked with several different breeds and then in in this particular case i've worked um and well i say worked i volunteered at a wolf husbandry center and then a wolf conservation center so i've had exposure in both of those areas and you know there i learned a lot that i wouldn't have easily found in a book like yeah we have google but anything can anybody can write something to put online it's not the same as it being factual well i had a question about your experience in the husbandry places yes. one of the things that i had noticed on the documentary i was watching and i think it was the same one i'll i will try to find out which one it was so I can <laughs> i'd like to see it notes. it was really good but there was a wolf biologist um who was out and he was like living with a pack of wolves in a mm-hmm. sanctuary environment, not out in the wild, but a mm-hmm. um, sanctuary environment. And he was writing up all this stuff about how everything that we know about wolf packs is wrong. Everything that people have said about alphas and all this other stuff is Victorian early animal behavior that's not correct. That there isn't necessarily always an alpha and there isn't necessarily always, uh, it's not always a male and, um, and that, you know, political, if you were hierarchy in a pack, can change from, like, situation to situation. <laughs> and he was like, we just basically have to start over on the book of how to understand a wolf re- wolf relationships within a pack because it's not correct the way that You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I would really be interested to read that because there are things that I, like, for example, that I've, I did a little research to see what else I could maybe add to what I already knew. And one of the things that I came across was there was a huge segment of misinformation that if you Googled it would seem just as valid as anything else I said on that podcast. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, you know, we need to rewrite the book, I would even agree with that. Mm -hmm. I I do think that should happen. Um, But, you know, saying and, and He's also right when he says an alpha may not be male. There are often pack leaders that are female, alpha females. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't what I refer to as gender dependent. Um, it's based on rank, which they establish through strength, challenges, things like that. And mm-hmm. those challenges are pretty rare. You know, once they've got it down, that's it. (laughs) There's no more scuffle. And he was also explaining that his situation in the sanctuary had to be taken differently than in the wild. He's just, he just said his observations, he wanted to have people pay more attention to wild studies and, and just not be married to the old Victorian research, which most of it's Victorian, where we get our standards Mm -hmm. um, about what we call things. And we just kind of need to start over and try to understand from a different point of view. That was interesting. So I had no idea. Donna, you have some experience with wolf hybrid dogs. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. Okay, just briefly. Years and years ago, I had a, my ex-husband and I had a couple of friends that had two wolf hybrids. And I don't know what they were hybridized with. It was probably a Malamute or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a bigger fuzzy dog. And they were like, ah, oh, you know, they're pretty, really gentle and, you know, they really love us and da-da-da-da-da. And those dogs were, like, hardcore. They were like, these are our people. This is yeah. our territory. Yep. This is our house. Then we went to stay over at their place because it was, we had to stay overnight there for some reason. I think it was pretty far drive from where we were. And those dogs sat outside of the room that we were in, which was like a loft. It was just a loft with a fence around it with the locked door. And they just stood at like the bottom or outside of the fence or wherever they couldn't get to us. Uh, But they were just stood there and barked and growled at us literally all night long. And Mm -hmm. there was nothing we could do. We couldn't move. Uh, We couldn't, we called out to the friends and we're like, um, your dogs? And they never heard us. So... We were awake all night long, terrified that these animals were going to jump into this loft room area and just, you know, bite the crap out of us. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. That's terrifying. Well, and I feel like gut instinct there played a pretty good role in your survival because that's exactly <laughs> what could have happened. Yes. Um, you know, wolf hybrids, there's still a lot of wild there. I, I, I belong to a few wolf hybrid 
groups and there are people that will disagree with me and say, oh no, it's totally fine. You know, those are the same people that three years later are like, oh yeah, so he almost took my face off. And wow. Yes. Like there was one particular person who I could tell that they had a wolf that was uh, a high content, which is just more wolf than whatever it was mixed with, right? Mm -hmm. So, and there's a couple of different breeds that they will mix them with. Huskies, Malamutes. um, There's another sub breed between those two. Um, But this person went into kind of a big argument uh, at one point and was like, oh, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. I'm the alpha. I'm the leader. He respects me. I was like, when he reaches sexual maturity, call me. And I'm glad he had my number because (laughs) his wife called me screaming from exactly what I expected was going to happen. And here they had a a wolf specialist like involved. And this is not to debunk people who, who really make it their life's work to focus on this, but just as a general rule, not a good idea because what you raise may not be what you end up with, with the best of intentions, with the most handling, with the proper level of respect, you can still end up in a, terribly scary situation and possibly not walk away from it because they are really powerful dogs. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Are you able to work with a wolf hybrid? I've worked with seven in the past. Well, more than that, but like directly and they were all behavior problems. (laughs) I specialized in complex aggression um, and behavior problems. So for me, that was usually what I would get a call about. Um, Generally, they were pretty shy and uh, standoffish. Um, and that was even in the lower content, you would see that, but the, the calls that I got were pretty horrific. Um, the first call I got was a woman who had just lost her arm to the dog and the state didn't get involved simply because she said it was a neighbor's dog and they didn't know whose dog it was, which I can tell you there's a litany of stories that match that because people don't want to put their own dog at risk. So they just make up a story that sounds legit so that their dog doesn't end up in quarantine or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and within the first 10 minutes, I met this dog. Just body language alone, there, and having had exposure to gray wolves and some timber wolves and things like that, I knew right away it was, it was destined for failure. And it's Aww. so rare that I would ever say that to an owner. But what I explained was, first of all, the dog was intact which is a huge problem when you have already when you've already when you've already got a wild mentality keeping that intact just makes them more motivated to not listen they don't Aww. they don't have that same desire that a dog would to be compliant it just makes me sad for the animal yeah yeah, they're just not, they're really not pets, you know. And they can't and like be happy living in that kind of environment. Well, and actually it's interesting you say that because they, they need very vast spaces. Um, and so when they're living in kind of like a home environment, even if you've got a two-acre property, that's far smaller than the area they would control naturally. And the motivation to do that is still there. So if they ever get free, guess what? They think the entire... <laughs> The entire four-mile block is within their territory, which puts everybody in the community at risk. And unfortunately, I've gotten those calls. Oh, dear. There are some dogs that you can, you know, hybrids that you can tone down a bit. Um, but as a general rule, like I said, you know, I specialized in, in aggression. So perhaps that's why I got those calls. Well, it it broke our friendship. Um, we were not friends with these people again a- anymore after that. It was pretty much that was the end of the friendship. And yeah, and we had known these people for three or four years or something, and we mm-hmm. were close, and we used to go hang out and stuff. And that was the end of it. They were like, "We got these wolf hybrid dogs," and I was like, "We are never ever going to that house again." And to you know, f- to give him credit, my ex husband was like, "Yeah, no, we're not, we're not not going to their house again. We're not con- we're not associating with these people at all anymore." Yeah. So. Yeah. Well. And there's one other thing that I would mention about that. People, when they get a wolf hybrid, especially if they're a couple or an individual, they're not really thinking big picture down the line. Mm -hmm. If you ever have kids and things like that, dogs can already be annoyed by children because of abrasive behavior that children offer. But what if you have like a family gathering? Right. 
and you tell yourself, okay, well, while the turkey's being cut, the hybrid, or in some cases, high content is going to be in the other room, it'll be fine. Well, guess what? Depending on how motivated they are to protect their area, they'll take that <laughs> that door right down like it's a toothpick. I mean, they'll just break it in half. Right. Wow. And things like that are possible because there's so much, their bones are heavier, their jaws are, are uh, I mean, markedly uh, more powerful than that of a domesticated dog. And their motivation to be compliant starts waning when they get adult to, oh, into gosh. adulthood. Yeah, Holy so moly. the risk is much higher. And you get a false sense of respect and security as they're developing before they reach that age of matur- maturity. Right. So that, that can be dangerous in and of itself there too. Right. I really like what you said in your podcast episode. You said, look, if you want to own a wolf, get a husky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like wolf without the drama. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or Malamutes. I, mean, I, I have friends that had two Malamutes. <laughs> if you really want like a big big dog, they're really fun. They're fun Yeah, they're dogs. fantastic dogs. And you know what? Wolves genetically we we haven't put the element in there that we have in dogs, which is that biddable mentality. And because that is missing in their their genetic makeup, you're just fighting nature, and yeah. and it doesn't matter if you think you're the best at it. You can still end up being. I mean, how many stories have you seen with this guy who was like one with the bears, and then you hear about a horrible incident they five years down the line? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Grizzly man. Grizzly yeah. man. They so ate I him. mean, <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. It's a real thing, and and I think, you know, if you want the experience of having something that looks really cool, Siberian huskies will will do that for you. Um, you know, and you don't. You're you're already in a wrestle with some of the similar um, streaks of they like to roam, they like to pull, they're independent natured, but they're not so independent that you can't get them on the same page as you. And I think that's a defining difference. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a good place to wrap this up. Victoria, thank you so very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I was so happy to be here. I hope I helped. <laughs> you helped a lot. Hey, where can people find you and listen to your podcast? And what is your podcast called? So it's called Dog Guru, and you can find it at dogguru.podbean.com. That's where they can find me. And I have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash podcast. So either of yes. those will work. And Yay. we will put the link to the podcast in our show notes. So if you go to the show notes at blazingcariboustudios.com, you will find it there too. And if you are a dog owner, you are going to love this podcast. Every episode is usually a half hour or less mm-hmm. packed full of information. You're going to learn something every time about your little doggo at home. And uh, especially concentrate on that episode that uh, we mentioned called My Dog is a Wolf, No He Isn't. That was published (laughs) on November 16th, 2017. Chock full of information that we couldn't cover here today. Uh, Thanks again, Victoria. Really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to help. Love the show and really grateful that I had this opportunity to talk to you guys. Yeah, super fun. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Varmints Podcast. This has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo and music by Kevin McLeod, as always. Thank you, guys. And you, the Patreon supporter, thank you so much for kicking in a dollar or two every month to make sure that we can pay for the bandwidth to get this podcast to you. We really do appreciate it. This week on our Rugrat Corner, Hannah has something to say about wolves. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing? Good. I was wondering if you could tell me what you know about wolves. They hunt in packs and eat elk, moose, deer, ox, and bears. And bears? Oh my goodness. Okay, so they eat really big things. No, they also eat berries, grasshoppers, and earthworms. What else do you know? Like, I, I know that they live in dens, they all don't. curling up together and stuff. What? They don't. They don't? They live outside and circle many times, um, pile one on top of each other whatever the weather. And they live in cold parts of America and Russia, Canada and Greenland. Have you, have you ever seen one? Yeah, I've seen them in Copenhagen, so Longleat and Nosley Spire. Oh, okay, what were they doing? Were they lazy? They were feeding. Feeding, oh my goodness. And jumping on cars. Jumping. <laughs> <laughs> wolves eat big things. I'm pretty sure you know, wolves would come and eat you. So, would you eat a wolf? No. No? Why not? Because they're just skin and bones. Skin and bones? They're not like dogs. Okay. They go and be like that. (laughs) That has actually been really, uh, really interesting. So, thank you. And uh, I think we should uh, end by saying goodbye Goodbye, to Paul Paul and and Donna. Donna. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)
Thank you, Hannah. Wow. That was interesting because she was like, nah, they're all string and bones. Not like dogs. I picked up My on that too. My dogs were like, don't you dare. <laughs> what, what dogs has Hannah eaten? That's the next question. <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> and thank you to her aunt, Stacy, who is the host of the Rough Giraffe podcast. You heard the promo for it earlier. Thanks for uh, getting that audio for us. We really do appreciate it. That was great. And thanks everybody again for listening. And until next time... Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. You guys are, we're talking about your ancestors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to howl? They go, ooh. <laughs> Everybody with a dog has just turned this episode off. <laughs> <laughs> well, we said it was going to happen and then it didn't, so I kind of felt like we kind of needed to do it. So.